Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and you are listening to Hardcore Church Planning, and my guest today is super cool, missionary in all over the world. He's missionary at large, no, I'm teasing. Where are you based at? My, It's a missionary, Paul Miller, and Paul, where are you based at? Uh, right now, I'm based in Tennessee, but we're uh, we're in the process of moving overseas full-time in, in the yeah, yeah. So tell us your story, because uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get guys that are doing guerrilla warfare low to the ground. Look, uh, we're we're at a point now in our culture and our society. If you look even at the trends of where things are at with social media, used to be you know you had to be a big name and you had to have a PhD and a couple books to do what you and I are doing right now. But things have shifted, and people are beginning to say, "I just want to hear everyday working class missionary heroes." what they're doing in the world, how Jesus is moving through ordinary people, which I think is going to be a major shift um, and has been a shift. And funny enough, has been the way Jesus has always kind of worked for the last 2000 years. Even if you have a big name, big name speaker, and he talks about, I did this. Really? It's what the people did in that ministry. There's no such thing as a one man show. So um, let's hear a little bit about what God's been doing through you. But first, I want to hear about how you came to faith briefly, and then I'm going to ask how you got involved in this crazy little thing called church planting. Sure. So uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts, born and raised uh, up until about a month ago. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a traditional Catholic home, New England Catholic home, uh, an understanding of God, but not really a, a whole lot of faith. Um, and so when I was 15 years old, a kid, uh, that I went to school with, they actually tormented me throughout high school, randomly out of the blue, asks me one day to go to his youth group. And by the grace and providence of God, I said, sure. So why? How why many I said, times did he have to ask you before you did that? Once. Oh, once. wow. You were some low hanging fruit, brother. That's all I'm going to tell you. 
low hanging. And uh, so I went to youth group, and a couple of a couple of weeks later, uh, when I was fifteen, I gave my life to the Lord, and uh, that started a, tr- a a path for me. Uh, a couple of years later, I got introduced to a church that really uh, gave me a passion for the Word of God. And it was through that. Hey, that I, I think we're losing you. So, words um, and so my passion let, for the let's game. switch your video off. I think we're losing you a bit. You're breaking up. Breaking back up, Charlie. Um, yeah. Charlie, By the way, um, since since I've interrupted you because you're breaking up, anyways, eighty five percent of the people that uh, are walking around there that are polled say that they would go to church if asked by a friend. Yeah, just a little yeah. tidbit for you out there. All right, and I'll play. that that that's what did it for me. Yeah. And uh, and so a couple of years after that, I gave it to the Lord. Um, you know, a week after that happened, and I got introduced to a church. But two years later, that was really heavy on the Word of God, and I got introduced to the likes of uh, John Piper and Jonathan Edwards and Puritans like John Owen. And my life was never the same at that what do point. They know? What are they I know. Days now, right? But for me, it did two things. It 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 established a a a really deep passion for the glory of God. Mm. Uh, and I read Piper's let the nations be glad, uh, early on, I was 17 and that absolutely changed my life. And the, between those two things, uh, my, my heart just had a passion to see the glory of God made known and the greatness of Christ made known, um, throughout the world. And as, as my faith grew and as my maturity grew, that passion was kind of honed in on seeing the name of Jesus, proclaimed where he is not proclaimed yet. And so that's that's kind of the, the quick summary of my life and, and my passion over the last few years, not really the last 20, but uh, that's where we are now. Uh, that's what's driven us to this point, um, to see the, the glory of God and having a passion for the glory of God and the name and the greatness of Jesus made known among areas and peoples where he is not known yet. There are far worse reasons to do this, so I'm glad to hear that that, that is the chief end of Paul Miller, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and make sure that others do too. So um, that's good stuff, man. Well, look, um, Paul, as you uh, are, are now, you, you've got a mission in front of you. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, what sure. you've been doing, and what you're getting. Sorry. <laughs> Not many people can say they were interrupted by a train during their podcast, but I can say that. Okay. Well, I'm um, glad I'm the, the, the before that train so rudely interrupted me, I was asking what what have you been doing? What are you doing now? And what are you going to be doing? So uh, back in 2014, we actually formed an organization. It was my first time in Nepal. Um, myself and uh, Nepalese a church planner who is based in New England um, formed an organization called Global Mission Nepal. And we formed this organization uh, for really three primary reasons. One was church planning and church planning training. Uh, the second was to train and develop pastors. And the third was to provide theological education for really a, a, a region and a church that is hungry for uh, rich just doctrine and theology and just really discipleship. Um, so that's kind of what we, we started doing that in 2014. Uh, it was really based off of the vision of our president, uh, Dan, um, who was, again, indigenous Nepalese. And uh, so we've been really actively church planning in Nepal and among the Nepalese diaspora around the world uh, formally since 2014. And so that's why you know we're, we're moving as a family to Nepal uh, in, in one of the cities there to kind of 
be a catalyst for additional church plants, uh, really among the unreached people groups around this particular city. Okay, so Paul, what is different about being in Nepal? Obviously, you get off the airplane for for people that are here that have never been there. You get off the airplane in that part of the world, you're hit by a, a gust of hot air. Then you climb the very tall mountains of Nepal. You're hit by gusts of cold air. And apart from the weather, what are the key things like that you notice, like as a missionary, like, hey, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. What are some of the things, missionally speaking, that are are really kind of unexpected or very different or even a shock to the system? Oh, boy. Uh, Nepal is a very, very complex country. It's a country of 30 million people. Um you know, geographically, the size of, you know, I would say even the new, all of New England, you know, geographically, um, or if you're in the South, maybe North Carolina and half of Tennessee. It's not a very big country, um, but it has 30 million people and it's got, it's divided among 253 distinct nations. So if you just think geographically, a country of that size with that kind of diversity, and then you throw 109 indigenous languages in the midst of this, um, and then you throw, you know, 86% Hindu uh, belief system and you've got 10% Tibetan Buddhist and you've got Maoists and you've got communists and you've got you know, people who want democracy. It is unbelievably complex as a country and you've, it's, it's earthquake prone. And so you've got all types of natural disasters that tend to happen in this country. It's extremely poor. Um, but, uh, what, what is unique among Nepal within the country is it's spiritually hungry right now. And statistically speaking, it's one of the fastest growing churches in the world percentage wise. Um, and so in the middle of all of this, this kind of complexity and this chaos, um, and the poverty, you've got a hunger for truth that is really coming out. And the Holy spirit is, is just working there in such a way that we do want to come alongside what he is doing and establish churches. Um, and so that, that's kind of, kind of the mentality that we have right now is that this is the time. Um, you've got an older generation that's been working within, within Hinduism for decades, and you know, you've got idolatry and, and decades of, of idolatry, and you've got a younger generation that is a little more exposed to Western uh, Western culture and has much more um, access to Facebook and the internet. And so they're hungry for truth. You know, they're seeing the emptiness of old traditions. And so you've got these two different dynamics and the Holy Spirit's meeting each of those in very unique and different ways, but it's a very complex country. And it, it really, uh, you have to be very uh, aware of those complexities to be able to minister within those borders. So when you came in, how, what, what were some of the things that were shifts for you? What did you have to do to start reaching people? And maybe tell us a couple stories about, you know, um, what actually started to happen, what your frustrations were. Um, did you make headway at first or was it like instant, like bam. And you're like, Holy cow. Yeah, I, I think, uh, it's a little bit of, a little bit of all of those, yeah. honestly, um, we found, and this is a different missiological, you know, there's different debate about whether Western missionaries should go in and do the church planning, or whether we should be training natives. Within Nepal, um, the, the model that seems to be working the best is to pour into native believers, develop them as leaders and pastors, and teach and train them how to plant churches. Right. Uh, you know, just be, the dynamics of poverty and the dynamics of the culture and the suspicion of Western uh, Westerners 
that seems to be the biggest um, tool that we've been able to leverage and, and really pour into. And so when we started training these pastors you know, four or five years ago, we've been pouring into them all throughout the year in different ways, with different teams and different instructors. They were hungry to be developed and they were hungry to understand the scriptures and they're hungry to understand how to, how to plant churches. They see it. it uh, one said for the Nep- about the Nepalese for years is that they are so passionate for evangelism that they just they will preach the gospel to a tree if they believe it mm. <laughs> and and so there's 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 an urgency that they feel and and so they are very very willing to preach the gospel and so when we went in and started doing this back in 2014 um these young leaders were hungry to be developed uh they were really excited to continue preaching the gospel regardless of the cost because there is a cost to pay in Nepal when you become a believer. Um, you know, and so it, it was, it was just amazing to watch how these young believers grew so quickly and were so hungry to be developed. And that, so the churches just started exploding as far as growth and we multiplied very, very quickly. And so in a matter of, of three years, we have 63 churches in the country that we planted and each church is now developing their own leaders and, and now planting other, you know, daughter and granddaughter churches, right? Uh, which has been amazing to see. Um, yeah. So that, that was, I don't think we, I think we, we knew that there was a hunger there, but um, I think the hunger for them to pour in and, and continue to evangelize and multiply so quickly was a bit unexpected for us. Right. Um, and so, you know, but, you know, there's also there's there's types of spiritual warfare that we've seen that have come in. You know, you're in a country where um, the theology tends to be about a quarter of an inch deep. And so all types of heresy has come in within the church in, in large in Nepal. And so that has um, that has been a big battle for just kind of fighting off heresy and, and teaching. It's a huge problem in the country. Okay. Awesome. So, um, as, as you went there, um, what were some of the things that, that really captured your heart to, cause obviously, you know, you're living in America, you're, you're in ministry here. What were the things that really captured your heart that were part of your calling where you said, you know, I really need to invest my life in Nepal? Mm. Um, things that captured my heart in that country, boy, um, there, there is a, a vibrancy and a beauty in the culture that is very unique. Um, it's very colorful. It's, it, they love music. They love colors. They love food and hospitality. Uh, and so you see all these, these different pieces of the mark of God without, throughout the culture. Um, you know, the, the hospitality piece, they love to fellowship. There's a communal aspect within their culture that's built in. Um, there, there's a, this love for music and it's, it's in part of their everyday worship within the Hindu faith. Um, there's, uh, there's just so many different elements that are just so beautiful within this culture. Not to mention the fact that you've got the, the Himalayas within this country where you've got Mount Everest and you've got the biggest mountains in the world. And so you've got the glory of God that's being declared all over this country 
But yet those mountains cannot declare the good news of Christ. And, and so you have all these different elements that just kind of capture you. And if you, if anybody who's gone to the country, you know, Christian or not, there's something special about this, this country and these people. Um, and with the diversity that's there, and not to mention even just the, the, the strategic position within, with Nepal being surrounded by China and India and all of South Asia, I mean, you've got three billion people that touch this country. There's just so many different elements that are here that can really just pull you in and capture your heart. The people are a beautiful people. They are um, just, they're passionate, they're prideful, they love their country, they love their culture. And so as I started to kind of get more involved with the Nepalese community in New England and meeting the people and hearing their stories and learning about their culture and tasting their food and then actually going there and being there in person, um, my heart was just captivated. Yeah, there's so it's such a unique and vibrant culture that it does pull you in. Were you? And, let me ask you this because I, you know, I'm a guy. I I started off here. My wife was a missionary in Thailand, and mm. when we were dating, this was a this was a little bit of a a, a tension point for us. Like, are we going to make it? We're not going to make it. Mm. Um, because I wanted to be the next Charles Spurgeon. That was my goal. And in no way, no shape, no how did foreign missions factor into that at all. I was going to be the great one. I was, I was mm. the chosen. I was the anointed one. It was going to happen. And, uh, stars in my eyes and big carnal dreams. And I told my wife, Hey, I don't, I can't promise you the mission field. Now, now I look back and I'm horrified that those words ever came out of my mouth. Because I absolutely had a transformation. If you take me apart like an animatronic, you know, at Disneyland, you want to see the inner gears and workings and everything that makes me tick. It's what you start off with, which is glorifying Jesus. I, mm. It's not worth getting out of bed in the morning anymore for me. If mm. that doesn't, if, if it's not going to lead to other people seeing Christ, it mm. shapes everything. It shapes when someone flips me off on the road, how I react to that. Everything is shaped now by What's going to bring glory to Jesus? And I'm, I'm not saying uh, I, I act perfectly or those things don't get eclipsed. Um, but my point is, at some point, you obviously had a transformation. And so here's, here's what I'm, here's what I'm kind of driving at. Um, for our people that are, they're like how I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm meant for great things, baby, and I can't reach those great things unless, how did how did you have to let go of things that seemed good for things that were truly great, like mm. kingdom things, things of the earth? Because I think a lot of times carnal fleshly things masquerade as ministry. And mm. kind of like when Jesus goes, hey, flesh and blood doesn't reveal these things to you, Peter. You know, and then in the next setting, he's like, get behind me, Satan. You know, I think I think we all have those constant things. What what had to change in you before you could accept this call to Nepal? Hey, that rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> the call to Nepal. Okay, that's the title of this episode. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, I worked in commercial finance and banking for 16 years. Um, so I, I started in high school, worked my way up the business world, into the, in the banking world. And, and so I, I had taste. I mean, I, I made good money. I saw uh, I was in a world that was full of competition and full of 
uh, just the pursuit of worldly things. And I've, I've, my heart's always been in ministry. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, early on in my faith, you know, the Lord started working in my heart for the nations. I mean, I started reading Voice of the Martyrs and, and seeing these, these stories of people who would pay a, a price for their faith, something that we really don't understand here in America, uh, that there, there is a price to pay and there's a cost for the, for the faith, your faith in Jesus. And so for me, as, as I was, you know, walking forward in my faith, moving up in the banking world, and yet seeing that the rest of the world is, is so willing to pay whatever price, maybe even their lives for, for the, the cost of Jesus, for the price or the worth of Jesus. Um, that did something to me early on. And it, it, it created this feeling of, dissatisfaction as I worked my way up and I made great money and, you know, was doing great in the business world. I, I had felt that there was far more than what I was living my life for. And, um, and so in t- 2013, I lost my job and it was just kind of cold Turkey. All of a sudden I went from making good money to zero and I had kids and I had a wife and I had a family. And, and yet we all kind of felt that, this this was the Lord, and he kind of shut that door. And from there, what he did over those next few months and, and gra- really just grasping at us and our heart for the nations, it all kind of fit together over that period of time. Right. Um, but right. it really started with that dissatisfaction. I had tasted I, I mean, I, I, like I said earlier, I, I, was, I was in a world where I had all the things that I could have wanted. And, and I was surrounded by people who were just glorying in their own accomplishments. And yet, for, to what end? To what end? And people can certainly glorify Jesus in the business world. And I know people who are very successful who use it for the glory of God. And I, and I love that for them. But for me, it really created a dissatisfaction. This is not what I wanted to live my life for and about. And then when I land on the ground in Kathmandu, and I was faced with just such immense, not just physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. Um, and it's everywhere. It's involved. It's in every aspect of their culture. It's in every taxi you ride in. There are idols everywhere. And that you start to realize that these people are living a life of spiritual poverty with not even just the lack of belief in Jesus, but without really even the access to him. Right. And that broke me. That is what broke me, is the lack of access that most of the people in this region have and accessing the, the joy and satisfaction, that fullness of joy that, that it talks about in Psalm 16. They don't have access to that. Mm. And that's a problem. That is a problem. And, and for me the desire for going back into the banking world was gone. And this was what, I mean, I've always had that passion for the nations, but it was different at that point. when I realized I need to dedicate my life to this. I want my family to grow up dedicating their lives to this and my kids to see that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy to, to leave behind, you know, these passions for, for worldly things for the sake of, of making him known and enjoying him. Mm. Well, man, that so guys, here's the deal. Um, let the nations be glad. John Piper, I mean, I feel like Paul is just amplifying God's heart through the scripture and that what John Piper wrote about in response to that. This is God's heart. And I, I guess really the key, 
Um, the takeaway that I take from that, Paul, is that in order to really be on God's mission, you need to have God's heart. And, and, and that's why, you know, I feel like this answer, it was like, mm, there's the good stuff. There's the chewy, creamy center right there. You know, the, the, the person listening, driving home, whatever it is right now, listening. Um, I think the real takeaway is you have to ask God, have you broken my heart for people who don't know you? That's got to be the driving factor. And not only that, it's, it's kind of the deal where, um, I, I think all of us need to ask, Lord, do I have, do I have your heart? And if not, why not? Um, you know, because when you're close to the spirit, when you're walking in the spirit of God, you're going to be ready and available for the mission of God. That's just, it automatically happens. That's why I was driving at that, but we are out of time. So I need to ask you one final question, Paul. And sure. that is, um, if you and David Platt were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Oh, without question, David Platt. Really? Without question. Yes. Without question. Now, is that because he, 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 I don't know if it's through fasting or working out, but he's pretty fit. He is pretty fit. And, and number two, he's been to Nepal and he's gone up higher than I have. So I oh. know that he's more fit than I am. So there's a ratio to how high you can climb to how hard you can probably hit. Well, there's that. And I would probably, you know, want to shake his hand before punch him. So um, he's been hugely influential in my life. And uh, so I, I don't think I could hit somebody like that. But just take that piece out. I, I'm pretty sure he's far more fit than I. And uh, I've, heard, I've also been told to respect my elders. So oh. he's a few years older than me. So I couldn't do that. Oh, nice. I dig it. Excellent. <laughs> Well, nothing, nothing like letting the big brother beat up on the little brother a little bit. That's right. That's, That's right. just normal. That's part for the course. Hey, That's our right. guest today has been Paul Miller. He's going to be going to Nepal. Paul, where can they connect with you or even get on your newsletter chain if they want? Sure. Uh, you can email us. Uh, we, just easy. Millers in Nepal at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go to our website at www.globalmissionnepal.org. You can learn all about the ministry that we've been doing there and connect with us and email us through that as well. And it might be good, guys, as you are planting churches out there to possibly consider partnering with someone planting churches abroad. It might just blow some wind into your sails and give your church that sense of the spirit of adventure. So thanks for coming on, Paul. This has been Hardcore Church Planting Today, and Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.